Knowledge is the key. CannabisRadio.com is here to keep you in the know on Just Say No. Did you know there are over 100 medical conditions that can benefit from cannabis therapy? Just Say No talks to patients who have used cannabis to treat their medical symptoms and create a better quality of life. Each week, we will tackle a chronic condition by talking to patients, doctors, and researchers with the goal to helping you live, learn, and thrive. Just say yes to Just Say No. Now here is your host, Ryan Hunt from MJWellness.com. Hello, and thanks for joining us. I'm Ryan Hunt from MJWellness.com, and welcome to Just Say No. Each week here on Just Say No, we evaluate, investigate, and give a thorough look at all the various diseases that cannabis therapy can help. Today, we're very excited. On the show, we have Amanda Ryman. Amanda is the manager of the Marijuana Law and Policy at the Drug Policy Alliance, as well as a lecturer at UC Berkeley teaching substance abuse treatment. A little later, we'll hear from Brandy Wilson, who has used marijuana therapy to treat addictions to opiates and other drugs. Hello, Amanda, and thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me. You spent the last 10 years researching and teaching alcohol and substance abuse. Can you tell us a little bit about what your history has been? I imagine you jumped into this field and have devoted your life to it for a reason. Uh, absolutely. So I spent a couple years after high school at the University of Texas in Austin. And while I was there, I met a cohort of friends, and a lot of them had substance use issues in their past. And I saw how they were treated by the system. What usually happened is they would get arrested, they would go to jail, they wouldn't get any treatment in jail. They would eventually get released and put on probation, still no type of treatment. And then when they weren't able to overcome their substance dependence issues on their own, they would inevitably end up going back to jail. And these patterns continued until a lot of them either ended up going to jail for a very long time or passed away due to complications related to their substance use. So at that time, having been somebody that didn't really have a lot of history in drug use or substance dependence, it really struck yeah. me as counterproductive. If the goal was really to help these individuals improve their lives and move away from substance dependence, the cycle of criminal justice involvement really just seemed to anchor them down even deeper into those issues. Yeah, we've heard a lot about that. What is a better way to treat addiction? What have you learned about addiction? I know this cycle where they go in and out of criminal justice system, it just seems to be where we're at right now. Uh, Well, first of all, instead of using the term addiction, I really prefer to use the term substance dependence. I think that addiction has with it this idea that people are powerless against the behaviors brought on by their substances of choice. And I'm sure Brandy can illuminate this issue even further. But something that I've learned is that even when people are experiencing dependence to substances, it doesn't mean that they aren't taking steps to try to make their lives better, to try to reduce the harms associated with using those substances. So I feel that calling it substance dependence really more takes away the stigma of the weakness of the individual and talks more about their circumstance. So for example, instead of saying addict, I would prefer to say somebody who struggles with substance dependence. These are individuals first. These are people first. And they may be struggling with substance dependence during their lifetime, but it really doesn't negate who they are as people. And I think one of the reasons it's so easy for the public to support locking people up who use drugs is that we really dehumanize the idea of what it means to have substance dependence. 
And one of the great aspects of harm reduction is the belief that individuals who have substance dependence still have the ability and the autonomy to work on making their lives better. And that's one of the things I've seen with marijuana is that individuals are using cannabis to make their lives better, even though they may still have substance dependence issues related to other things that they may be taking. How do we define substance dependence? You know, I've heard a few different things. There's one end, it's if you take anything routinely, and another is, yeah, sure, you can drink a bottle of wine at night, just as long as it doesn't affect your life and get in the way of what you're doing. How would you define substance dependence? Like anything else in life, it's a spectrum. So it's yeah, not a black yeah. or white issue. I think that mm-hmm. one of the ways we previously defined substance dependence had a lot to do with the criminal justice system. If you look at some mm-hmm. of the ways we used to define dependence according to the Diagnostic Statistical Manual, which is used by behavioral health uh, experts to evaluate somebody's mental health issues, is we've looked at things like, have you gotten in trouble with the law? Have you spent more time than you would like trying to obtain the substance? What we now understand is that a lot of these identifiers have to do more with the illegality of a substance than they do with compulsive use of a substance. Therefore, Mm. a more enlightened view of what substance dependence is kind of more towards the latter of what you were speaking to. Are you getting in the way of your life? Do you see your use preventing you from achieving what you would like to achieve? Do you feel that your use has gotten to a point where it's taking over some of these other activities that you used to enjoy? There are individuals who use substances non-problematically. In fact, about 80% of people that use substances, including heroin, methamphetamine, what we've kind of envisioned as the harder drug, use these substances non-problematically. So there's this fallacy that just because someone uses a substance, it means that they have dependence. Now, of course, we don't feel that way about alcohol. We all know somebody that takes a drink or two and has absolutely (laughs) no issue with alcoholism. Yeah, I was going to bring that up. Alcohol addiction, is it different than other forms of addiction? And we hear so much about alcohol addiction. Do we put it in a different category? I think that because alcohol is a legal drug, sometimes we have trouble remembering that it is a drug. Don't think that we deny alcoholism exists. It's not very different at all than dependence on other substances, meaning that there's usually an issue related to physical dependence as well as psychological dependence. One thing about alcohol is that withdrawal symptoms from alcohol for somebody that uses very heavily can be fatal. This is not true with opiates. Another fallacy is that opiate withdrawal poses the most risk to individuals, but it's really alcohol and benzodiazepine withdrawal that can cause the most complications. I think our misassumptions about alcohol really come more from our belief that people can use alcohol and not be dependent on it. We don't carry that same belief over to illegal substances. And I think that's really where the difference lies. That's really interesting. I understand. Tell me about when you started working with marijuana as a treatment for addiction. This was really building on the work of Todd Nicaria, who was a psychiatrist in San Francisco, and was really the first to come up with this idea that maybe kind of subscribing to this theory of harm reduction, that he could move individuals who are having problematic alcohol use onto cannabis, and that it may help alleviate some of the symptoms related to their alcoholism. His studies were really case-by-case studies looking at individuals, but he found it to be very promising. And because of that, there's a doctor in Berkeley, Dr. Frank Lucido, who uses a cannabis in his therapy treatments that writes recommendations for medical cannabis use in California. He has an extensive intake questionnaire that he gives patients. And because of Dr. McAria, 
he started asking them whether they were using cannabis as a substitute for something else. Dr. Yeah, right. was my doctor, and that's where I first learned mm. about this line of questioning. So when I did my doctoral dissertation on medical cannabis dispensaries and how they operated as health service providers back in 2005, I adopted this language from Dr. Lucido's intake form for my mm. study of 130 medical cannabis patients. And I was really interested to find from the results that a good number of them said that they were using cannabis as a substitute for alcohol, illicit substances, or prescription drugs. And that's really where I got this idea that the medical cannabis patient population would be an ideal place to investigate whether this phenomenon exists. That's really interesting. I mean, I imagine the resistance is almost immediate from people. They're just going to tell you, oh, you're just replacing one drug for another. How do you see marijuana affecting the brain differently? Or how are people using it to manage their drug dependence? Well, people do have this feeling about substitution therapy. We live in a very abstinence, all-or-nothing-based society. And we feel that individuals should not use any drugs of course, except those that are prescribed by a doctor, caffeine, sugar, alcohol, but all the other drugs we should not use. So the idea of giving somebody cannabis so they're trying to get off of other substances definitely strikes a chord with this abstinence-based society. But we're starting to see something that I think is, is changing people's minds, and that is an increase in the number of people that are overdosing fatally on prescription drugs, in particular opiates. And so when we look at the alternative to embracing cannabis as a substitute being potential fatal overdose and death, I'm absolutely sure if you ask the families of who have experienced this, of a family member who has died from an opiate overdose, if they would go back and allow that person to use cannabis instead, I don't think one of them would be opposed. Absolutely. And can you just refresh me? How many people have died from an overdose of cannabis so far? (laughs) Zero. Okay, I was kind of leading you into that one, but it's true. Zero people have died from an overdose of cannabis, right? Correct. Okay, great. We need to take a break, but when we come back, we'll bring in our guest, Brandy Wilson, who will talk about her experience using cannabis to help treat alcohol and opiate addiction. We will be right back once you get to know our sponsors. Gondrepreneur.com, your guide to the cannabis business world. Gondrepreneur.com is a comprehensive resource for cannabis professionals and entrepreneurs. Download the Gondrepreneur app on your smartphone or tablet to catch up on cannabis industry news, scroll through our daily job listings, and learn about successful cannabis companies, executives, and investors. Gondrepreneur.com, helping Gondrepreneurs grow. Your connection to quality cannabis insurance services is spelled K-A-E-R-C-H-E-R. That's Karcher Insurance. We have worked with ventures like cannabis for over 60 years. We're proud to represent over 50 companies with tailor-made cannabis plans for owners just like you to insure your product, your plants, and your pursuits. K-A-E-R-C-H-E-R spells out their full-service insurance services, ranging from commercial to bonds, to personal, from life to health, and more. Contact the team at KarcherInsurance.com and let our experience work for you. That's K-A-E-R-C-H-E-R Insurance.com. Contact Karen and the team at Karcher Insurance at 1-844-421-3560. That's 844-421-3560. 
The smoke is rising, and the next crop of podcasts devoted to cannabis providers and enthusiasts are ready to be harvested. Welcome to the Cannabis Radio Network, founded by respected rainmakers who have been producing award-winning podcasts for over a decade. Industry headlines, business updates, medical reports, marketing, and e-commerce education rolled up perfectly for your consumption. Let's grow together. The Cannabis Radio Network. CannabisRadio.com Just Say No, spelled K-N-O-W, is back with more conversation about curing and healing with cannabis, only on CannabisRadio.com. Welcome back to Just Say No. I'm Ryan Hunt from MJ Wellness. Now I'd like to introduce Brandy Wilson, who has used cannabis to treat her substance dependence. Welcome, Brandy. Hi. Thanks for joining. Let's just jump into your story. When did you start drinking or doing drugs? I started stealing communion wine and drinking that at school at 12, but I didn't really start heavily drinking until 13. And then right after that is when the other drugs came. I did LSD, but it was mostly drinking through high school. And then the other stuff came. Everything came after that. Everything. And I imagine you were using marijuana at that time, too. Yes. I like to call it cannabis because marijuana (laughs) has such a racially charged background. I have been using cannabis my entire life. If left alone, I very possibly may not have gone through many of the things that I did that I went through because people continued to get involved with my cannabis use which would turn me other places. So you had people who were trying to help you, and one of the easy things to cut out was probably the cannabis. Well, originally, I'm 40, and this I've been doing this for 25 years. Okay. So it was, it was in the 90s. So there was a big stigma against cannabis. I have been kicked out. I've been forced into rehab. One particular time, I was heavily using meth for a number of years. And to quit, I moved to Lake Tahoe and got a job. And I successfully was using cannabis to be off of meth. And I got drug tested. I got a positive test of cannabis. So I lost my job. I lost my place to live. And I moved down to Reno. And in that, um, I went back to using meth and whatever else I could find. And so I was very productive and fine until a crazy drug test came where I was smoking pot. Right. And after Tahoe, is this when you realized you needed help? What did you do? Did you go into rehab or? My time in Reno, and this is really the specific one time that I have asked for help. After a year of halfway houses and living on the street, doing sex work, I was living with a man in a hotel and he had tried to get me to pay for some crack we had smoked. Um, I was locked in a hotel room for three days, badly beaten, a knife to my throat. Finally, I got out, and I realized that finally I needed some help. So I called my mom, and my mom has always been there from ready to be clean. And so um, she brought me back to the Central Valley, and it's a lot less harmful than what was going on in my life in Reno. Wow, Randy. How old were you when you were living in Reno? At that time, I was 25. And when you got back to Fresno, was your mom successful in getting you into rehab? (laughs) No, there was no successful rehab. There has not been one successful rehab. Drug court was not successful. What was Mm. successful was when I took myself out of a harmful situation, out of an economically depressed area, out of 
where there's so much mess and so much drug use and so much prison. Yeah. And I found people that supported my desire to move myself away from less harmful things. They encouraged me to go to school. So I did financial aid. You know, they taught me how to work through that system. And finally, I transferred up to Humboldt State to get my bachelor's and my master's. And Mm -hmm. I still heavily use cannabis. You know, I'm not quote unquote sober. Occasionally, I will have a drink. Can you tell me a bit about how marijuana helps with those cravings? I've had my time with opiates as well. And I know that that pull to get more and that hole that you can get stuck in. How does cannabis help? For me, in the past two years, I have gotten off of opiates and benzos due to a serious illness. And the way that I started, how they help is they let me be lubricated and reduce pain and reduce all of the serious anxiety that I have and the impending doom and the just all the crap that one endures in life, it helps me be a little more manageable with everything in my head. And the way that I was able to use cannabis to get off of opiates and benzos was I started with very concentrated products. I began to make my own edibles and Mm -hmm. tinctures and concentrates. And I used those really heavily at the beginning. It was necessary. Amanda, I want to jump back to you really quick. What do we know about how marijuana affects the brain and how that's different from opiates or the same as opiates? Well, marijuana, both marijuana and opiates impact pain by disrupting the receptor. So when you fall down and hurt your arm, for example, there's a signal that's sent from your arm to the brain that says, ouch, this hurts. So they help disrupt that signal, which is one of the reasons why they're so effective. Our bodies make their own cannabinoids. Our bodies also make their own opioids. So we have uh, an yes. endo-opioid system as we have an endocannabinoid system, which is one of the reasons that these two substances are able to mimic our body's own naturally occurring substances, which is why they're so effective. Where yeah. they differ is that opiates impact the part of the brain that regulates respiration. Cannabis does not impact that part of the brain. So Mm -hmm. when you overdose on opiates, what it basically means is that you take so many opiates that your brain is no longer sending the signal to keep breathing. That part of the brain has been depressed. And that's how people overdose and die. We hear about this a lot with alcohol and opiate combinations too, right? Because alcohol is a depressant for the respiratory system. Alcohol also impacts that part of the brain. And alcohol and opiates can have a synergistic relationship, which is like a one plus one equals four kind of situation, which is why a lot of these overdoses are accidental. They're individuals that are mixing opiates and alcohol unaware of this effect, and they fall asleep, and then their brain stops telling them to breathe, and they die. Cannabis does not have this effect on the brain. No matter how much cannabis you consume, your brain will never send a signal to stop breathing. That part of the brain will never become depressed. And that's why you cannot have a fatal overdose from cannabis. However, a lot of people say you can't overdose on cannabis. This is incorrect. Mm -hmm. An overdose is simply taking more than intended. And you can do that with anything. It's the result of the overdose that differs between cannabis and things like opiates and alcohol. Do you know why? I know on opiates, you have that drive to get more and more and you kind of cycle into that dependence. 
why don't you get that with cannabis? If it's so enjoyable, if it hits kind of the same receptors, what's different about opiates that drives you to get more and more the next day? It's about intensity. It's really hmm. about intensity. So, you know, the effect of opiates has an intensity that can cause physical dependence, meaning that it's the difference between hitting a nail with a hammer and hitting it with a sledgehammer. And so when you use cannabis, you don't have the same intense physical dependence associated with it. And that physical dependence is what makes it harder for people to stop. And Brandy can probably speak to this. But when you're going through withdrawal, Brian, you may be able to speak to this as well. You know, yeah, the reinforcement yeah. of the withdrawal that makes you want to take more, it becomes less about the reason you took them in the first place and more about your brain telling you that you need to supplement your body with more of the substance. And we don't see the same impact with cannabis. So one of the ways that cannabis is used to help people stop using other substances is that it happens to be really good for treating withdrawal symptoms. When we look at the withdrawal symptoms of things like alcohol and opiate tend to be sleeplessness, anxiety, difficulty eating, stomach upset, tremors, muscle and joint pain. These are all symptoms that cannabis has been shown to help. So not only is it a psychoactive substitute, but it also can help people wean themselves off of other substances by alleviating withdrawal. Okay, well, we need to take a break. But when we come back, we'll get into kind of the nitty gritty of what Brandy's experience with taking marijuana, what she took and how she used it to manage her substance dependence. We will be right back once you get to know our sponsors. Dr. Dabber, hurry. Its temperature is shooting past 1,000 degrees Fahrenheit. It's burning up. I'm afraid for this little guy, it's just too late. What caused the problem? Only Dr. Dabber can maintain the perfect temperature for a smooth-tasting, slower burn. This standard vaporizer lost all of its health benefits, sending it up in smoke. So you're telling me that most vapor pens burn so hot they produce smoke, not vapor? Correct. Keep away from those standard vaporizer pens and turn to Dr. Dabber. Doctor's orders. Less heat, more flavor. MJWellness.com, the largest medical marijuana community in the world. Connect with thousands of patients, doctors, industry leaders, and businesses through shared personal experiences along our worldwide network. Discover new therapies and benefits with content tailored to you. Come grow your network on mjwellness.com. You're not alone. Your wellness matters. Learn, live, and thrive. Check out mjwellness.com today. Doc Rob, the concierge for better living. Cannabis is just one of the many great plants that we have on this planet called Earth that we can use consciously and intelligently to improve our well-being. Take a real, raw, inside look at healthier living while sharing great ideas and improvements for a better quality of life. Learning to live and live well is a lifelong process. This is a journey. It could be you could be 80 years old or 8 years old. You can still learn something that's going to make tomorrow a little bit healthier, a little bit easier, a little bit happier, a little bit better. The Concierge for Better Living with Doc Rob. Only on CannabisRadio.com. Just Say No, spelled K-N-O-W, is back with more conversation about curing and healing with cannabis. Only on CannabisRadio.com. 
Welcome back. I'm Ryan Hunt from MJWellness.com, and we've been talking to Brandy Wilson about her experience using marijuana to treat her dependence. Brandy, I've spent a year, uh, I don't know, maybe it was 10 years ago now, addicted to Vicodin. And when I couldn't get a hold of those, I found Tram Dolls. At the time, it was easier for me to get a hold of those than it was for me to get hold of cannabis. I honestly wouldn't even know how to use it to treat my addiction. And I'm sure a lot of our listeners have that question. You were using marijuana, but what did you do? What did you take to help control your drug dependence? When I decided that the opiates and benzos were just, it wasn't a good time in my life anymore, I started researching. And I've always loved edibles, and I was finding that the higher dosages of things were helping people more. So I started making my own edibles and my own tinctures. I found to start with, edibles and tinctures were very useful, especially the tincture, because as Amanda said, you know, you're nauseous and you can't sleep, and it's a battle. And so the tincture, at least, you know, it's lingual and you can get it in your mouth and you don't have to deal with an upset stomach. And so I started with that. And luckily, I live in a community where it's an abundance. So that's a privilege. Also, we need to understand, like, I have infinite access to these things, too. So having access is another issue. So for the first year, I relied so heavily on concentrates, on edibles on tinctures, mm-hmm. and on really a good amount of concentrates. I really did not smoke many flowers during that year. Mm-hmm. And now I'm off all of the heavy concentrates. And now my, you know, I'm clearer again. My pain is, I manage it. And now I'm back to mostly just flowers, which I find to be perfectly acceptable mm-hmm. now. So that's how I yeah. Well, it kind of speaks to what Amanda was saying about the intensity of opiates, you know, the sledgehammer effect. Um, in my experience, edibles can be a sledgehammer (laughs) and, um, how much were you taking? Like if you, (laughs) so, um, okay. I was taking about a hundred milligrams a serving and a hundred milligrams around my neighborhood works out to be a quarter gram of bubble hash. So, and I was taking those about two to three times a day. So I was eating almost about a gram of activated hash a day. Wow. (laughs) And did that, that helped you completely manage the cravings? Did you get off everything else? Did you wean yourself off of other things? Yes. Well, with that, I also, during the time where I was increasing the edibles, I was also slowly reducing the opiates so that the impact okay. to my body and the, the possibility of failure wasn't as high. Because if I could wean off slowly while increasing the cannabis, I felt like it might be a better plan. And it's been a beautiful plan. Do you attribute your success right now more to using marijuana or without marijuana, do you think you'd be successful? No. But it's not marijuana alone, and it's not me. Mm-hmm. It's support. Like, my friends, my family, I support the community. It's a matter of support. I want to do things all day long, but if I don't have a support system, and if I don't create a support system for others, we will inevitably fail. The system is not meant for us to go through it without support and without direction. Speaking to that, you 
manage the Humboldt Area Center for Harm Reduction. Can you tell me a little bit about that program? Yes. Myself and another woman co-founded Humboldt Area Center for Harm Reduction. We started a little over a year ago. I've had a really crazy run of events. There were at least five people in my life that died of overdoses, two suicides, three drug busts, a shootout, like just ridiculous. And so I went on a crazy email campaign. I emailed every national organization I could get a hold of. And Amanda Ryman wrote me back. And she said, hey, check out the Drug Policy Alliance. And from there, we have been running. And amazingly enough, the other day, our local dispensary donated $20,000 to us. And what we do is we advocate and support people who want to use or need to use in a more healthy way. I don't advocate for telling people to be clean or telling people to do something or another. I'm here to support you in however you need to get there and wherever you need to go. I think Amanda spoke to this a little bit earlier where our society is pretty much black or white on this issue where it's abstinence or not. I'm sure there'll be people listening to this who are skeptics and will say, you know, oh, you're just replacing one for another, like I said before. But what would you suggest to people who are going through the same thing that you went through? What kind of advice would you give to them? I thought about that a lot last night. And the thing for me is I don't give advice to people who are using, they don't need it. What I do have to say is please stay alive and please just try to do one healthy thing a day. And maybe when you get one healthy thing a day down, maybe then you can go for two. For me, it's a matter of moving from extremely unhealthy behaviors to manageable, productive, healthy behaviors. It's important for our communities to support That's what I have to say is communities need to support. And with that, things will change. Do you find people looking for support approach you? Do they approach you on Facebook or how do people find support? As we're speaking right now, we are giving away supplies and education at our local weekly free meal. And in there, we have been told what it is that people who are using our services, what they need. And that's that's how we support, is we go to where you're at and we let you know we're here and you tell us what you need and we will do our best and our damnedest to get it to you. Well, I feel like I could talk to both of you all day. We are out of time and I wanted to thank you for joining us for this edition of Just Say No. I'd like to thank Amanda Ryman and Brandy Wilson and our producers for making this show possible. For more information about our guests and to read more about patients using marijuana to control their symptoms, please go to mjwellness.com. You can visit Amanda at the drugpolicy.org, www.drugpolicy.org, or just search for the Drug Policy Alliance on Facebook. You can visit Brandy by searching for the Humboldt Area Center for Harm Reduction on Facebook. You can download episodes of our program by going to CannabisRadio.com or subscribing to the show on iTunes, Stitcher, and very soon, iHeartRadio. You can also follow the show on Facebook and Google+. And please join us next week when we'll tackle the digestive system and issues like Crohn's disease and ulcerative colitis.
opinions expressed on this CannabisRadio.com program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff and management of CannabisRadio.com. Any rebroadcast or redistribution without proper consent of CannabisRadio.com is prohibited.